Why doesn't Mormonism believe in Mormon teachings? Well, former Mormon Bishop Earl Erskine and I will discuss that next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Now, we have done shows in the past discussing what Mormonism doesn't believe, that they, that they don't believe much of what Jesus himself taught. Right. We did a show recently about that, actually. This time, we are going to discuss that Mormons and polygamists don't believe many of their own teachings from their own scriptures. And we're going to start with Mormonism's habit of baptizing children at eight years old. One question to consider is that if a Mormon child or Mormon children, and the polygamists believe the same way. When I say Mormon, I'm including polygamists. That if Mormon children are not sinners, as they claim, why are they baptized for the remission of sin? We begin with the Book of Mormon, Book of Moroni, chapter 8. Yes, verse 9, And after this manner did the Holy Ghost manifest the word of God unto me, Wherefore, my beloved son, I know that it is solemn mockery before God that ye should baptize little children, and their little children need no repentance, neither baptism. For awful is the wickedness to suppose that God saveth one child because of baptism, and the other must perish because he hath no baptism. (laughs) What did that mean in the Mormon church when you were there? Or did you read it? Well, of course I read it uh, (laughs) many times. Uh, I mean, the first verse, of course, is that, that uh, it sounds like a mo- mockery to baptize little children Does, who have no sin. Yeah. I always, I don't know what I, I mean, first of all, generally it was a membership into the church. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really place it so much as a sin issue, a sin issue. as becoming a member of the church. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Now, now this doesn't say infant or baby. It says a little child. And, right. and um, so eight years old would have to be considered as being a little child by most people's estimation right. anyway. Yeah. Um, and a, a, an eight-year-old can't fully understand sin or the remission of sin or expected to live the complicated and burdensome ordinances of the Mormon gospel either. But they are at the age where when, when, they, um, when they do sin... They are at the age where they can assume a lot of shame and guilt, which is very often applied to them. Oh, your Heavenly Father sure isn't happy with you now. Oh, I hear him say that all the time. We want to quote this from the LDS.org official website. In our own time, the Lord revealed to Joseph Smith that children should be baptized at the age of eight. That's Doctrine and Covenants. Section 68, 25, and 27. Each year, thousands of righteous children reach the age of accountability and are baptized into the Lord's church. And there you say, into the church. Yes. They're baptized into the, into church. the church. So in, in Moroni's time, children shouldn't be baptized, but in Joseph Smith's time, God has changed his mind and they should be baptized. And if children are righteous, as this passage says, they don't need baptism. Next, um, the Mormon religion does not believe God is unchangeable despite their scriptures that say he is changeable. Uh, Despite the scriptures, they don't believe that he (laughs) is not despite the scriptures that says he's not. They don't believe it. Now, we've discussed this in recent programs, so we're not going to go into great detail about it again. But we do want to remind our viewers that LDS and polygamous communities um, continue and the prophets continue to introduce ideas that can only come from a changeable God. 
Yeah, we find this Moroni 8.18. For I know that God is not a partial God, neither a changeable being, but he is unchangeable from all eternity to all eternity. But what? Joseph Smith takes a 180 degree turn yeah. and says And he this. says this in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. It is the first principle of the gospel to know for a certainty the character of God and that he was once a man like us. Yea, that God the Father of us all dwelt on an earth the same as Jesus Christ himself did, and I will show it from the Bible. Now, of course, he can't show it from the Bible. That's ridiculous. It isn't there. But they also don't believe what the Book of Mormon teaches. Oh, that's right. That there's in only it, one God. So there's a God. changeable God and yeah. the one God, part, all wrapped up in this God. Yeah, and I don't know what I thought when I used to read this. In Alma 11, 26 through 31, and Zeezrom said unto him, this is Amulek, Thou sayest there is a true and living God. And Amulek said, Yea, there is a true and living God. Now Zeezrom said, Is there more than one God? And he answered, No. And Zeezrom said unto him again, How knowest thou these things? And he said, An angel hath made them known unto me. So is there more than one God? And the answer is, no. 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 <laughs> but clear. they must not truly believe in the Book of Mormon. It's dogmatic that there's only one God. We want to quote now from conference reports. Yeah, and there's probably many of these, but this one from James E. Faust. The first vision confirms the fact that there are three separate gods, God the Father, Elohim, who, to whom we address our prayers, Jesus the Christ, Jehovah, and the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, through whose spirit we may know the truth of all things. So the Book of Mormon establishes that there's only one God. Second uh, Nephi 31, 21 says, quote, And now, behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and the only and true doctrine of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, which is one God without <laughs> end. Amen. Now, some folks add words to the verse and say, one in purpose. Yeah. This changes the meaning of the verse. The verse simply says, one God without end, and it means one triune God. That's what the verse says, that's one God. That's right. But Mormons and polygamists believe that three gods rule the earth, and there are thousands or millions of gods in eternity. Most of them add the words, only one God of this world, yet they, that doesn't fly because those words are not in any of the passages. No. And they say there are three gods of this world. Years ago, official Mormon doctrine taught this. Bruce R. McConkie in Mormon Doctrine. Three separate personages, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, comprise the Godhead. As each of these persons is a God, it is evident from this standpoint alone that a plurality of gods exists. These three are the only gods we worship, but in addition there is an infinite number of holy personages drawn from worlds without number who have passed on to exaltation and are thus gods. So That's it. We're, we're getting contradictory <laughs> teachings here. Now, despite their insistence that the Trinity is made up of three separate gods, their keystone, Book of Mormon, teaches differently. Yes, from the three, witness state, three witnesses statement, and the honor be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, which is one God, amen. Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. And that's at the front of every Book of Mormon. It is. 
So one part of Mormonism teaches many gods, another part teaches only one god, and of course the Bible tells us that there is only one god and there always will be only one god. Mormon President John Taylor taught in opposition to the Book of Mormon, as all the Mormon presidents have done. I guess this is his book, uh, The Gospel Kingdom. I don't think I've ever read this one. As a man he is born, as a man he lives, and as a man he dies. But through the essence and power of the Godhead, which is in him, which descended to him as the gift of God from his heavenly Father, he is capable of rising from the contracted limits of manhood to the dignity of a God, and thus, through the atonement of Jesus Christ and the adoption, he is capable of eternal exaltation, eternal lives, and eternal progression. So, they have corrupted Jesus' purpose of the cross, claiming that it made it possible for Mormons to become gods. What a travesty yeah. that they've done to Jesus' sacrifice. Now, we are making a very good case that Mormons do not believe in their own scriptures. The next one we're going to talk about is lying, telling false stories, bearing false witness. This is another topic we've recently discussed, and we don't want to be repetitious, but there's always plenty to say about their deception that isn't repetitious. In his book, The Mormon Hierarchy, Origins of Power, uh, by uh, D. Michael Quinn, he was a Mormon historian, he called the LDS church leaders' deceptions theocratic ethics. <laughs> Author and historian Dan Vogel published a book called Joseph Smith, The Making of a Prophet, describing Joseph Smith as a pious deceiver. Smith himself freely used his deception very often. He once said, deception was okay if it resulted in a good outcome. A good article about this is on mormonthink.com. The link is on the screen. And that website has a list of 152 deceptions that the LDS Church itself has lied about or continues to lie about, and they know they are not being honest. All this falls into the polygamy camp as well. Yeah. Myself, having been born and raised and taught in a polygamy group, I have experienced their instructions on how to lie. It's a sin to lie to someone in the group, but it's not a sin to lie to someone outside the group. Imagine that. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, here are just a few lies from the list of 152 deceptions from mormonthink.com. First, the official version of the first vision by Joseph Smith, fashioned in 1838, nearly 20 years after the event, was unknown to church members until published in 1842. So the official version is not the first version story he told, and there are a total of nine different versions of the first vision. Yes, that's right. Number three, the LDS Church permits members and others to believe that the history of the church was written by Joseph Smith. The Joseph Smith history was completed in August of 1856 by historians who wrote it as if it was written by Joseph. Again, I ask you, did you know that, that the history of the church was not written by him? Actually, I didn't know. I, if this, is the, this isn't the B.H. Roberts version, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I never really thought about the history of the church being written or dictated by Joseph Smith. I figured he didn't write anything, but he dictated a lot. But, oh, well, still yeah, written by yeah, him, written still by him, the author. His authority. Yeah. yeah. Number four on the list is that the famous Rocky Mountain prophecy 
which is the prediction that Salt Lake would be the place that the saints would settle after leaving Nauvoo was a later addition to the official church history and was not predicted by Joseph Smith. And yet many Mormons and polygamists believe he predicted that in advance. They want you to think otherwise, yeah. but it wasn't. It was added later. Right. Oh, interesting. Number five is the official Mormon histories have omitted references to Joseph Smith's drinking and use of tobacco to create a more favorable impression of their prophet. Yeah, that's num interesting. Number 44, Joseph privately told William Clayton to keep a particular plural wife, knowing that the membership would be troubled about it if they found out, since most of the saints believed Joseph's repeated denials about polygamy. Joseph cautioned Clayton that if they raise trouble about it and bring you before me, I will give you an awful scourging and probably cut you off from the church. And then I will baptize you and set you ahead as good as ever. <laughs> so there you go. Let's there just go. let's just do a, a a farce here in front of the people so they'll believe it. Number forty six on that list: official Mormon uh, histories fail to inform members of the competition to get as many plural wives as one could. Mm -hmm. And they did. They uh -huh. they did Imagine have that they did. competition. In fact, Brigham Young said that nine hundred and ninety nine wives was the limit. Oh. Because at least there was some control. <laughs> <laughs> because Solomon had a thousand, and, oh, <laughs> and they you got didn't that. want to go ahead. Of, oh boy! <laughs> Number fifty-two. Joseph Smith lied about lying when the expositor was published in Nauvoo, accusing him of lying. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting story all by itself. <laughs> all number, by itself. Number 70, deception as a management tool was frequently discussed in the leading councils of the church, so leaders were counseled not to record notes from meetings in their personal diaries. President Joseph F. Smith was afraid that someone might read the diaries of George Q. Cannon and Abraham H. Cannon and use the information and would use the information against the church. <laughs> now, someplace I read that they still don't allow people to read these diaries. whether that's Yeah, to research them, historians to get to them. So, uh, and whether they're not that's correct, I really don't know for sure. I didn't verify it. Yeah. But obviously, LDS leadership knowingly and systematically deceived their members and the public at large. And then, of course, <laughs> is the famous Boyd Packer's mockery of truth-telling. Yeah, there is a temptation for the writer or the teacher of church history to want to tell everything, whether it is worthy or faith-promoting or not. Some things that are true are not very useful. <laughs> but the so, Book of Mormon says in Second Nephi 9.34, Woe unto the liar, for he shall be thrust down to hell. So they must not believe that. <laughs> The inspiration for liars is identified in 2 Nephi 2.18, even that old serpent who is the devil, who is the father of all lies. Yeah. Throughout the decades, the leadership, beginning with Joseph Smith, have lied and lied and lied their way through contradictory and questionable teachings and illegal activities. And they know that they're lying. The next unique Mormon doctrine Mormons don't believe is that there's no second chance and there is an everlasting and burning hell for the unrepentant. We quote from Alma. Hmm. Actually, well, okay. Alma thirty-four, thirty-two. For behold, this life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. Yea, behold, the day of this life is the day for men to perform their labors. I beseech of you that you do not procrastinate the day of your repentance until the end. 
For behold, if you have procrastinated the day of your repentance, even until the end, or until death, behold, ye have become subjected to the spirit of the devil, and he doth seal you his. And the devil hath all power over you, and this is the final state of the wicked. Now that's interesting. Their third degree of glory, they say, is better than life here on this earth. And they believe that everyone's going to be saved, right. uh, except the very few, like you and me, uh, who Possibly. know about Mormonism and reject it and then talk against it like we do. <laughs> like we do. <laughs> but other than that, everybody else will be saved. They'll all be resurrected, and they think resurrection is salvation. They teach that Mormon doctrine. Right. The Book of Mormon says that this life is when we prepare for eternity. There's no provision for baptizing for the dead. According to verse 35, death without first repenting results in the sealing of that person to the devil forever. What good does it do to, to baptize for the dead if the sealing is by the devil forever and that they're forever under his power at that point? Mm -hmm. Their scriptures teach no second chance, but they don't believe it. The arrogance <laughs> of Joseph Smith, he said this, and if we go to hell, we will turn the devils out of doors and make a heaven of it. <laughs> he didn't know what he was talking about, did he? And another eldest leader said this. Yeah, this Hubie Brown in a conference report. We reject the unscriptural doctrine that there are two places or states of eternal existence, heaven and hell, and that all men will go to one or the other. They Re reject that. <laughs> they reject it. And yet right. that's what Jesus taught. Yes. Rejecting something that God tells us doesn't make it go away. It doesn't make it so. The teaching and warning of hell is in both the Bible and the Book of Mormon. And the LDS reject it. And the polygamists threaten us with it. Mm. <laughs> and, of course, polygamy is our next topic. The LDS Church has in recent years admitted that they still believe in polygamy, but they just don't practice it at this time. That in and of itself is contradiction. How can you believe in something and not do it? To illustrate the confusion of Mormon doctrine, we first quote from Ether in the Book of Mormon, where polygamy is prohibited. Ether 10.5, And it came to pass that Riplakish did not do that which was right in the sight of the Lord, for he did have many wives and concubines. So that wasn't the right thing to do, right? right. We've quoted like Jacob 2.30 many, many, or two, um, many times about polygamy, so I decided I'd quote another place in the Book of Mormon. Uh, but uh, Jacob 2, chapter 2. Definitely says that Solomon and David. <laughs> yeah, grosser crimes, they call it. Iniquity, yeah. whoredoms, abominable, lack of chastity. They, that's what they call polygamy in Jacob. And, and, and Jacob, too, also condemns David's and Solomon's polygamy, that's like you right. said. But the Doctrine and Covenant praises David and Solomon's polygamy. Yeah, in section 132, verse 1. I, the Lord, justified my servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as also Moses, David, and Solomon, my servants, as touching the principle and doctrine of their having many wives and concubines. So how that works, again, I don't get it. Oh. Original Mormons taught that polygamy was essential for exaltation. Today's LDS warned that monogamy is the only way. And yes, we have quotes to back up those contradictions. Temple Lot Case, it says, page 362. Yes, sir, President Woodruff, President Young, and President John Taylor taught me and all the rest of the ladies here in Salt Lake that a man, in order to be exalted in the celestial kingdom, must have more than one wife. 
that having more than one wife was a means of exaltation. So polygamy is their savior, okay? That's right there states that. And then a millennial star, a Mormon newspaper says, quote, the one wife system not only degenerates the human family, both physically and intellectually, but it is entirely incompatible with philosophical notions of immorality. It is a lure to temptation and has always proved a curse to people. So they taught monogamy was a curse, but now the LDS only allow monogamy and the polygamists look down on monogamy. The Mormon newspaper Millennial Star also published this statement. And we are believers in the principle of plural marriage or polygamy as a principle revealed by God underlying our every hope of eternal salvation and happiness in heaven. We cannot view plural marriage in any other light than as a vital principle of our religion. So why are they living it today? That no wonder we have Mormon fundamentalists, wouldn't you say, with all this background on it? That's why that's the support they have. But I guess the mainstream church would say they had continuing revelation. Oh yeah, they had had a changeable God. So they change what they believe. Their organizations merely consist of changeable teachings that itching ears want to hear. We have a quote. From the newsroom of the church. Today, the practice of polygamy is strictly prohibited in the church as it, as it has been for over a century. The practice is banned in the church and no person can practice plural marriage and remain a member. The standard doctrine of the church is monogamy as it always has been. Really? As it always has been. We've just quoted all of those that said you had to have it for celestial glory, for exaltation, to become a god. I wonder why they even add that, as it always has been. They could have just said the standard doctrine of the church is monogamy. (laughs) Period, yeah, rather than adding lie upon lie. Yeah, that's strange. And and we should have put this quote in the bearing false witness (laughs) statement. But anyway... <clears throat> they said monogamy was the standard doctrine. It wasn't. It was not always. The first seven presidents of the LDS Church were all polygamists, and they all taught that it was required for their salvation. And today's final <clears throat> discussion of what their doctrine teaches and what they actually believe is money. <laughs> <clears throat> the Book of Mormon teaches that false churches ask for money. Book of Mormon 8.32, Mormon 8.32. Yea, it shall come in a day when there shall be churches built up that shall say, Come unto me, and for your money you shall be forgiven of your sins. Oh, wow. That's turning you against other churches, isn't it? Yeah, and in verse 27, And it shall come in a day when the blood of saints shall cry unto the Lord because of secret combinations and the works of darkness. Now, I brought that in because it explains the secret ceremonies yeah. of the temple. The rituals that they're, uh, of their temple secret ceremonies. And worse, tithing. We talked about this earlier. Yeah. Tithing is required by members before they can participate in these secret combinations That's or secret right. ceremonies of the temple. In fact, they can't even go to the temple unless they're up to date on their tithing. Well, yeah. And once you, uh, even though you've been buried in the temple and been through the temple, if you don't keep paying your tithing, you'll lose, you'll lose the it. privilege of going. And so they have done exactly what the Book of Mormon says, come unto me for your money, bring me your money, and you'll be all right. Well, that's not the way... It's not what it sounds like, is it? (laughs) No, it isn't. Actually, what's happened here is the Book of Mormon has passed judgment on Mormonism because they're 
their eternal life is contingent upon their tithe paying. That's a good point. The LDS and polygamists all require your money. We quote again. Yeah, Robert D. Hales. The strict observance of the law of tithing not only qualifies us to receive the higher saving ordinances of the temple, it allows us to receive them on behalf of our ancestors. You tie it in with you. When asked when whether members of the church could be baptized for the dead if they had not paid their tithing, President John Taylor, then of the Quorum of the Twelve, answered, A man who has not paid his tithing is unfit to be baptized for his dead. If a man has not faith enough to attend to these little things, he has not faith enough to save himself and his friends. <laughs> Blasphemy. Brigham Young said tithing was an eternal law, which it wasn't and isn't, and Spencer Kimball said this. My brethren and sisters, again I say, tithing is a law of God and is required of his followers. To fail to meet this obligation in full is to omit a weighty matter. It is a transgression. The law of tithing is a divine commandment. And we could show scripture that proves that's not true. And then Gordon Hinckley confirmed the requirement of tithing when he said this, and I quote, Some years ago, one of our brethren spoke of the payment of tithing as fire insurance. That statement evoked laughter. Nonetheless, the word of the Lord is clear, and those who do not keep the commandment and observe the laws of God shall be burned at the time of his coming. Ooh, that's harsh, isn't it? Yeah. So tithing in Mormonism is a law and is fire assurance, insurance, yeah. but not in true Christianity. No. In fact, the Bible teaches that by no law will anyone be justified before God, and that includes the Mormon fake law of tithing. And it just goes to show, now there's many more things we could have added to this, which we didn't have time, but it just goes to show that they have put so many things in place of Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. None of these things matter as far as our relationship to him and whether or not we go into heaven. Now, in the polygamy group, you paid even more than tithing, right? hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a united order. Right. right, yeah, it's, it's all of it. It's, it's plain all you of it. And then you take back only what you can use, what right. you need. So you had to turn everything over. Everything, hundred <laughs> percent. Right, right. Hmm. So Cheerf cheerful givers. So why, <laughs> so why in the world do they have scriptures they don't even believe in? Interesting, isn't it? It is. Thank you, yeah. Earl. Yeah, appreciate bet. that. We have a quote from 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2, and it says this. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul's testimony was about God. Yeah. It wasn't about any church. And there were plenty of churches around that Paul could have exalted, but Paul's testimony was about God. If your faith and testimony is in your church, you are doomed to follow the arm of flesh instead of the testimony of God. Sound doctrine from the ages past is more important than new revelation from present-day contrived prophets. Jesus Christ and Him crucified is the only way to God. The road to heaven is not paved with polygamy or tithing or temples or the United Order and are not included in any New Testament teaching to earn favor with God. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and all who go to heaven must go through Him and only Him. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. 
Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.